0: Well, are you ready to talk about D&D?
1: <laughs> when am I not ready to talk about D&D? <laughs> I feel like either a really bad salesman or like a evangelical preacher going around and be like, have you heard the good news of Dungeons & Dragons?
0: <laughs> I'm Clifford Stummey, and if you're like me, you struggle with crippling FOMO. You wanna try everything, but get too bored to master anything. People like my wife, April, they think we're manic, but rather than change, I institutionalize my behavior. This podcast is our excuse to investigate hobbies and lifestyles that inspire obsession. And today we're gonna slap on some imaginary chain mail and grab some pretend swords, because we're asking why are people obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons? Back in 1974, two guys, Gary Gygax and David Arneson, created the fantasy tabletop role-playing game, or TTRPG, Dungeons & Dragons. If you're not familiar with fantasy TTRPGs, usually you create a character that can be an elf, a dwarf, a human, or any number of creatures. The Dungeon Master, or DM, creates a world with a cool adventure in it, and then you and your friends sit around the table telling each other what actions your characters take. So the DM might say, there's a bunch of, evil goblins over there, and then you could say, I attack them with my sword. Then the dungeon master says, roll your dice. If you roll high enough, you get to deal damage, and then it's the goblins' turn to hit you. At its heart and soul, DD is really just a system with a bunch of rules for how the fantasy world works. It gives players a framework to ground their decisions in. So there are rules for how much health you have, how much you can carry, what combat looks like, and like anything else you can think of and a lot of people seem to love D&D. In fact, there are over 13 million active players around the world, and many more who listen to D&D podcasts or take it in in some other way. So, what gives? Why does D&D pervade culture and inspire obsession so much? If you like fantasy and games, the answer probably seems easy to you, but people are really serious about their D&D, and for a lot of them, it goes deep. So... To figure out why, I'm gonna play a game for myself, my first ever, and I'm gonna find some hardcore D&D fans to see why they love it. Then you'll know whether it's something you wanna try. However, before we get started, I need to tell you something. I'm really nervous about playing D&D. When I was in high school, I took a horrible theater class. The teacher didn't do squat, and we had to perform plays that our classmates wrote. The plays were what you expect from high school kids, mostly sappy and weird. One was about a kid's last make-a-wish before he died of cancer with his girlfriend by his side, and I, I don't think his family was even really in the picture, it was like just about this girl. And another was about a group of woodland creature superheroes, which now that I think about it, it actually was a pretty cool idea, but the writing was not pretty cool. So I had to go up on stage and see friends and family staring back at me and I knew they thought I was an idiot for pretending to be a superhero bunny fighting a mind control weasel in the woods. And you know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But since then, the thought of acting or improv or like really just playing pretend in front of other people has been kind of scary to me. You're vulnerable, what if people think you're stupid? If I was going to play D&D, I was going to have to improv stuff and act as a character in front of others, and that scared me at a deep childhood rabbit related trauma level. But I am the knight errant of hunting down obsessions, and D&D is a huge obsession. So, whatever the personal cost, you and I were going to try it out. Give me your name and how you feel about D&D.
2: Well, my name's Kate Stevens, and D&D is probably one of the most important hobbies I've ever had.
0: That's my friend Kate. We met in college where we both studied English. She loved F. Scott Fitzgerald and hated puns. These days, she's married, has two kids, loves playing D&D, and still hates puns. I didn't know how to get started playing D&D, so I asked Kate if she'd give me a crash course. She needed no prompting.
2: It's just so gosh darn fun. Like, (laughs) it's... D&D, at least for me, when it's at its best, and when everybody is so bought into the game that we're playing and everyone is so invested in what's happening in the story and everyone has planned their characters and is making good choices and if they're not making good choices with their um, spells or their attacks at least they're making interesting ones you get into this place where it reminds me of times when back when uh, i was younger and i had a couple friends who were really into star wars and we used to have like lightsaber battles and you would get into this moment where you believed it, you know, and you just felt so cool.
0: Kate likes D&D because it's all about being creative and community. The very combination I wanted to avoid. And here Kate was already confirming my biggest fear. But Kate did say that it's not just about creativity. The rules of d d
2: give structure. The best D&D moments I've ever had were all because of the rules. I literally was just in a game where we were in a battle. There were what, four of us in the party. This is the final battle where we're in our final big confrontation with the big bad. Um, uh, we're fighting this uh, monk who has been possessed by a being from an alternate dimension. Um, and, <laughs> and we've all died multiple times and been revived multiple times. We have no more revivifies left. Um, and I, my character had some healing and, um, Rena, one of, uh, one of my friends, she had, um, her character had healing too. So there's two characters that can heal and two characters that, that aren't. We're down into the final bit. It's like clearly coming up to this turning of the tide, whether or not we can take this final boss down and I go down and Rena's character goes down. The only two healers on the field go down. With us both unconscious, the rules as written, There's nobody has healing potions left. Nobody has any resources left. Um, the other two players are barely alive. If they get knocked down, we're dead. It's just a total party kill. We're completely wiped. Rena, on her first death save, she rolls a natural 20. If you roll a natural 20, you pop back up with one HP. So she pops back up is able to heal me enough to get me back up, and then is able to, you know, heal herself a little bit too. So suddenly we went from no healers, we're all going to die, there's no way we can save this. One, One dice roll at the exact time that we needed it turned what would have definitely been a total party kill into this triumphant, victorious, because she healed me, I healed the other person. And then we just completely from there on, we were just absolutely victorious. There was no way we weren't going to win. So like that sort of moment where we're all sitting here, like shaking, like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then the nat, the nat 20 happens and we're all just like, what? Like, <laughs> that's not role play. That's something completely different. I don't even know what to call that.
0: That story helped me to understand D&D better. Apparently, it's a combination of rules, roleplay, and a bit of luck. And and after hearing that story, it really sounded awesome. So I talked to Kate some more and realized that there were going to be three things I needed to do to be ready for a game. I needed to create a character. I needed to get comfortable with roleplay slash improv. And I needed to schedule a game.
2: The hardest part for me is just because we're all adults and you know the the difficulty the difficulties of making friends when you're an adult is the scheduling conflicts it's a big time commitment we're talking 3 4 hour chunks of your day
0: scheduling may be tough but it was the most inside my comfort zone so i decided to start there i asked kate if she'd play and she was 100% down No surprise there. And if you remember episode two of this podcast, you'll remember my buddy Jake. He also plays TTRPGs, so he agreed to join. That only left finding a dungeon master. Remember, the DM is the person who plans the adventure, so they've got to put in a bunch of work, build the world, create the setting, plan the enemies, figure out what the point is, everything. And I didn't know any DMs, so I had the awkward task of asking a stranger to do all of this. Jake said he knew a guy who might be willing to work with me. He had gone to the school I now taught at, and he was a pretty smart guy with a flair for the dramatic.
3: My name is Seth, and I do, in fact, like
0: D&D. How much do you like D&D? I like it quite a bit. I asked Seth about himself, learned about the game, and we talked about the balance between following D&D rules, a.k.a. being crunchy, and trying to tell a good story. Seth tends to prefer telling a good story rather than keeping to the rules perfectly. After a bit, it was time to ask the big question. All right, so this next question, you probably saw this coming from a mile away. There is no pressure here whatsoever, and it would make total sense if you were very, very busy. But would you be interested in G- DMing uh, at one shot? I could quite possibly be interested there'd be. You want money, don't you? No. Uh, I was just kidding about the money. I actually blew my podcast production budget on Rubik's Cubes uh, for the last episode. So understandable. Sounds like a good investment. Uh, Yeah, I bought like 10 of them. It was crazy. I could, I could possibly be talked
3: into it, but there'd be probably a lot of details and logistics that have to be discussed.
0: Seth agreed to DM our game, but he wasn't kidding about the logistics. It took me three days to find a time we could all meet, and that time still wasn't for another three weeks. But finally, it was scheduled, and a game was going to happen. So thanks to Seth, my first mission was a success. My second mission was going to be harder. I needed to come up with a character to play in the game, and in D&D, that's a lot of work. So I went back to Kate.
2: Maybe let's start with class. Let's have you pick a class first, and then from there we'll decide which races might be best to be in that class, if that makes sense. Okay. Sure. Sure. Do you know what the different classes are? Sort of. The sort of standard ones are Barbarian, Bard, Cleric, Druid, Fighter. I guess monk is standard, you don't see that many monks um, playing paladin, rogue, warlock, sorcerer, wizard. So basically, first thing you need to know, do you wanna do magic or do you want to be more martial?
0: I couldn't really make up my mind, so I decided both. My character was gonna be a paladin, which usually goes on the front line and is very good at packing a punch, but also has some magical ability. So then, after I chose a class, I needed to choose a race. Playing a human or an elf or a dwarf sounded boring, and there was a race called Dragonborn that was basically a two-legged upright dragon person.
2: Dragonborn look like dragons, but they're like they're like a dragon persona. Like, if that's your thing. <laughs>
0: Well, okay, you ruined it because I was like just thinking about the dragonborn. They look so cool and they've got plus one to plus two to strength and plus one to charisma.
2: Hey, no, no, no. Don't don't let me talk it down. It's just when you start looking for character art and you start searching for dragonborn, you get to some interesting places.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's do dragonborn then. Then we did a bunch of dice rolling to see what my character would be good at. Turns out he's very charismatic and strong, remind you of anyone, but he's not very observant or perceptive, which is definitely me. By the end, I was really getting into it.
2: And then languages might matter. I mean, obviously you speak common, but are there any other races that you think that your character might like interact with?
0: I would say we probably hang out with uh, Celestials.
2: (laughs) Well, so there, are not, there aren't really celestials. I was thinking like dwarves we, well, it was or a, elves or a, goblins.
0: It was an elective in, in Dragonborn Noble High School, like taking Latin, you know.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, celestial is kind of the base for the other languages. And, you know, you were classically trained. You can't help
4: that.
0: The name I ended on for my Dragonborn was Spiralosaurus or Spyro for short. And of course, I felt very pleased with myself. But my character wasn't done yet. I had a lot of surface details about him, but I didn't know who Spyro was on the inside. What motivated him? What made him sad? What inspired him? For all purposes, he was an acquaintance, not someone I actually knew. So Kate suggested I talk to her friend Quiva, who's really good at building characters. However... I wasn't prepared for just how personal D&D character building could be.
1: Well, are you ready to
0: talk about D&D?
1: <laughs> when am I not ready to talk about D&D? <laughs> I feel like either a really bad salesman or like an evangelical preacher going around and be like, have you heard the good news <laughs> of Dungeons and Dragons?
0: Quiva lives in the UK and she first played D&D while traveling to New Zealand for six months between jobs. When she came back to the UK, she couldn't stop playing
1: so I ended up getting into a Monday night game and then getting into a Tuesday, no, a Thursday night game. And yeah, the, then the pandemic hit and then it went a bit insane. At one point I played like seven days in a row and I was like, I need to stop, <laughs> <laughs> do something else with my life.
0: I told Quiva about my soulless husk of a character and she told me about a character she'd created, Livy.
1: And I kind of took that and I was like, no, 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 I want her to be the company man. But she's like, she really believes. Like she, she's like an Amazon employee who thinks that like Jeff Bezos is the most amazing person in the world.
0: And like, but <laughs> really believes it. Livy was a bit of an experiment for Quiva because she put a lot of herself into Livy.
1: When I think about all of my characters, I feel like they're like 80% me, like, but set to 11. <laughs> and then like... <laughs> or like 20% a fear I have about myself set to eleven. So like if you look at Livy, she's the really earnest, hardworking, perfectionist in a way, like really wants to believe in something. And then her bad side is she's completely unself aware. She does everyone else is laughing at her because she's ridiculous, but she doesn't realize that she's so earnest that she presumes earnestness in everyone else and she isn't quite aware enough and that's the fear that's the 20 percent fear
0: when Quiva actually played livy in a dungeons and dragons campaign her friends really surprised her instead of making jokes about livy and pulling scams on her they gathered around her and protected her from the scary cynical world Playing this up-to-11 version of herself and experiencing her friend's response then helped Quiva to be more okay with who she was in real life.
1: And then having all these people just heap so much, like, love on that character, like, I felt loved. Like, I felt accepted. It was a character who was, like, a joke with some aspects of me. But by other people liking her, I personally felt more... Like, I don't know, it was a very transcendent sense or like a sense of like full acceptance in a way.
0: I didn't think there was any way I'd have a similar experience with Spyro, at least on that level. But it made me realize that maybe role playing could be good for something and could be worth the inherent risk. Uh, But of course, now that we talked about Livy, it was time to figure out Spyro. you
1: more confident or sure in your life.
0: I do tend to get swept up into th- ideas. That could be something. Yeah. Okay. I, I tend you're to the be-
1: first into battle. You're the you're the first to suggest an idea. You know this is right. You are so sure that you're going to make it right.
0: Suggesting bad ideas quickly.
1: <laughs>
0: that could be something.
1: That is very fun. Okay, I'm going to write that down.
0: We ended up with 80% of Spyro's character being his willingness to charge forward with a plan, even if it wasn't very good. But the 20% fear was having the self-doubt that said his plans were all dumb. And trust me, that's very much pulled from my life. And I honestly wouldn't have come up with that idea without Quiva's help. But because of Quiva's help, and Kate's, I had a D&D character to play. Mission 2 of my 3 preparatory quests was complete it was now time for the one I'd been existentially dreading. Hey, passionate people. This is just a quick break to let you know that if you're enjoying this episode of Obsessed, I've got a whole shadow podcast on my Patreon. It contains bonus interviews, behind the scenes, and more. For this round, I'm splitting the Shadow episode into multiple smaller ones with different topics, and one of those is going to be the D&D adventure you're going to hear about later in this episode. If that sounds cool, head on over and support the show. The link is in the show notes. (music) To accomplish my final preparatory mission before the actual D&D session, I needed to face my oddly specific fear of role-playing slash doing improv in front of others. Luckily, a chance to do this plopped into my lap.
3: So, first off, does anyone have any, like, specific questions? Like, obviously there are tons of questions that we could have. Seth, but the
0: any- DM, proposed we do a session zero, which is basically a quick meeting to make sure we know what to expect, discuss any homebrew rules, and figure out how our characters all know each other. We started our session by introducing our characters. I am working on a character named Spiralosaurus, who is a dragonborn paladin noble.
5: I'll be your history tutor, a grumpy old man who's pissed off that you don't actually know enough about the military history you uphold.
2: It's just Greenskeeper, so green. Um, They don't really have a name, um... One of the paladins in Spyro's family way, way back uh, went on a big adventure somewhere and found this warforge. And was like, oh, this is a neat thing. I'm going to buy it and take it home.
0: As Seth explained, in our upcoming game, our three characters, Spyro, his gardener, Green, and his tutor, the professor, were going to be on a field trip to an island to seek out a mysterious treasure. That was all Seth told us, but he also asked us for something.
3: I do want each of you to come up with like one legend or fable about this island that may or may not be true.
0: Jake and Kate jumped into their legends with reckless abandon.
2: (gasps) Tears severed arm. It's tears Uh, uh, the goddess of the god of justice but tears missing his one arm because it got eaten by chaos wolf at one point. So you, it could be his arm, like it could you, like his actual arm. Like there's rumors that there's some remnant of his actual physical arm on this island.
5: One of us thinks that it's actually a disembodied arm and one of us thinks that it is like a weapon, an armament that he left.
3: <gasps> oh, I love it.
5: But when I tried to come up with a legend,
0: all the air left the room. I could barely speak. I felt like an idiot. Uh, For my legend, I feel like there should be like... Like rumors of a, a mysterious beast or like like a ghost beast.
3: Oh I love it. T- what is this beast? Tell me something some It's like about
0: it Giant hamster
2: <laughs> Shush, let cliff do it. He's on to something
0: uh it's a ghost, but it's got a snake head and it's got a I'm trying to think of something that hasn't been done yet, but it's got the the legs of an elephant no a head of an no the trunk of an elephant. No, this is this is starting to sound like... No, this is good. Insanity, We've got but the head of a snake. The body of an elephant. Body of an elephant.
5: Are they proportional?
0: The funny thing is that when I listen back to that tape, I don't sound that nervous. I just remember my brain racing, trying to come up with a legend that didn't sound completely stupid. I survived, but I felt even less confident about playing D&D. So after the session zero, I asked Jake and Kate how they made it seem so easy. How do you guys come up with stuff so quickly? I feel like especially when we were working on the legends, you guys were like, boom, boom, boom. What about this? What about that? And then I was like, I felt like I was walking through mud trying to come up with an idea.
5: I just think of whatever would be funny.
2: Yeah. Or especially with
5: D&D where it. the lore's not super serious anyway.
2: Yeah.
0: I think it's just it's it's a little bit intimidating here. You get hearing you guys come up with like these amazing ideas very, very quickly. And it's like, oh, shoot, I am when we actually play this game. I'm going to have to bring my A game.
5: Don't bring your A game. Bring a bottle of booze.
2: Or or no. Listen, Cliff, listen, don't bring your A game. Don't bring your A game. Bring your desire to have fun since you've built it into your character that your character doesn't really entirely know what they're doing, um, like which is a brilliant way to write a character um, if that's how you're feeling about the situation. Um, just lean into that and just have fun. Don't come with your A-game. Come to play with us. We want to play with you, Cliff. Or okay. I want to play. D&D forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I learned a lot. And I was inspired by what Kate said about, you know, let's... Just have fun and just play a game. So I resolved that I was going to just have fun. If I did that and stopped focusing on trying to do well, maybe I would enjoy myself. I told myself I'm not trying to win the game or be better than everyone else. I'm just having fun. How hard can that be? Now that the three prep missions were done, I had one week before the game happened. And I didn't want to get too nervous, so I did things that would help get me excited. I did some battle practice with Kate.
2: Ooh, rolled high on the damage. That's 10 points of Whoa. piercing damage. okay. Uh, so you try to catch it in your teeth, like you open you open your mouth, and it just like hits the roof of your mouth.
0: <laughs> I got a drawing of my character from my sister, Rachel.
2: What color are his eyes? Are they lizard-like?
0: They're, they're definitely lizard-like. They're probably like green.
2: Green. Okay.
0: <laughs> that, that seems like a good color.
2: Christmas no. themed. Weird they're, man.
0: they're yellow. Yellow. Yeah. Yeah. And I practice potential character voices on April. I just I gotta speak with a lot of intensity. You
4: there. You gotta have a voice you can use if you're excited or chipper or sad or angry. You have to be able to have a variety of emotions within this one voice.
0: They're taking the hobbits to Isengard.
4: But say a D and thing. A
0: D. De- I'm going to roll for dexterity. Your
4: character wouldn't say that. (laughs) I know so little about D&D, and even (laughs) I know the character doesn't say, I'm going to roll for dexterity.
0: The week went by quickly, and finally, the big day came.
3: You guys have been uh, sailing most of the day on a... mm, not the greatest condition, uh, you know, rickety old boat. Uh you've set out from the main string of islands this morning. I think this was the only boat that like anybody would like let you rent and take to Sholot at the end of the island chain because most people don't come back and people didn't want to risk their boat. But you know, it works. It floats and it doesn't leak too much.
0: Our party was headed toward an island where a mystical fantasy treasure lay, and we needed to find it to finish the quest. But before we made it to the island, some of our characters' frenemies that Seth invented showed up, and so did my first roleplay challenge.
3: You see behind you a boat approaching. It's a little bit bigger than yours. It's also um, much nicer than yours, and looks kind of like, you know, the fantasy equivalent of a modern speedboat. And as it comes tearing up past you, it begins to slow down, but not before, like, you know, sort of cutting in front of you and splashing you guys with water. And in it, you can discern three individuals. And I think that to at least some of you, these individuals are familiar. Uh, Spyro, you recognize a a tall, rather dramatic-looking individual, uh with who who's looks fairly human with uh jet black hair and some twisty horns coming off the top of his head dressed in rather flamboyant black and red robes and leather armor and this is uh, sir elroy he is a noble of about your age with a similar degree of affluence and an insufferable personality their boat Comes to a bit of a stop. And uh, Elroy is the first to speak. He says, oh, Spyro, my dear boy, I, I, I can't imagine running into you out here. I do hope we didn't get you too wet. Terribly sorry about that old chap.
0: And I completely locked up. Um, I don't know what to say to that. I, <laughs> um, no, no, it's all right. What are you doing here?
3: Oh, what are we doing here? What a fabulous question. I would imagine, judging from uh, your company, that you and I are a bit in uh, a similar position, uh, you know, dragged out here into the middle of nowhere by our uh, stuffy tutors, uh, searching for this magical artifact that
0: the legends tell of. I just kind of stare at him quietly.
3: (laughs) Ever the strong silent type with you, I see.
0: And as if saved by the bell, the other characters eventually got bored and decided to move on. While I had survived, it was only barely. Our party landed on the shore of the island, and when we started walking, we found a clearing. I had Spyro run in, and he promptly got attacked by two jumping snakes that almost killed him. (laughs)
3: And the vines go, which you can see as they lunge at Spyro, are not vines at all, but snakes. Um, specifically, and I think Reginald would know this based off the previous nature check, and Green probably would know this too, just being a druid. Uh, these are jaculi, which are these weird snakes that live in the jungle and hide on things and then launch themselves at things. They're like jumping snakes. The first two are just going to launch themselves at Spyro, and they're going to make a couple attack rolls here. Uh, the first roll is a twenty-one, which I assume hits. Yep. And it's going to do quite a bit of damage. Oh
5: no!
3: Fourteen points of piercing damage.
0: Oh my gosh. Spyro came really close to death, but Jake's character, the Professor Reginald, jumped in and saved him—or more like he scolded
5: him. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give my uh, Bardic inspiration to Cliff since he's in some dire straits. At the- Great,
3: what does that look like? How do you inspire Spyro in this moment as you uh, run away? My from character him?
5: is his instructor, so I'm going to uh, give him some backseat-driving tactical advice with a comparison to a historical figure who <laughs> won a battle that I find some vague similarity to in the moment, and exhort him to be more like that guy, and less like himself. <laughs> so, be be yourself, but be the you that you would be if you were more like a person who was better than you are.
3: <laughs> Spyro, <Yeah. laughs> you apparently find this inspiring. You have a uh d6 that you can add to a die roll you make
0: and we continued our journey after meeting some very cute sprites who gave us all blessings
3: they each grab a leaf off of their saplings and mimicking your exact movements each hand you a leaf Uh, all seven spirits begin to uh roll around on the ground uh they seem to be laughing or as close to laughing as they do they they apparently find this very funny
0: and then we came to the edge of a lake we sent Green down into the water to see if the treasure was at the bottom, and he found a giant crocodile instead, which he shot and then came running back to us. We prepared for battle, but the crocodile didn't engage. Instead, telepathically, he asked us what we desired. When it was Spyro's turn to answer, I again freaked out. I didn't know how deep to get into my character's backstory or whether I should focus on more surface desires, and I just jammed up. I would say. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, ooh, that feels like such an important question.
3: Other question. Is Spyro saying this out loud? <laughs> yes.
0: No, I wasn't using character voice. I wasn't using character voice. Oh,
2: okay. come on. I like the idea. He's um, like, I seek glory. Actually, no. Let me have an existential crisis right here, guys. I'm just going to chill.
0: <laughs> I finally got a hold of myself. Try, Try being more specific. <laughs> what do you seek it's a very personal question i i took the oath of i took the oath of glory i i seek i seek to become a true paladin i seek to prove myself as a paladin and and to prove that my oath was not in vain This was a big moment for me and Spyro, because it was the first time Spyro really had to become real as a character in the game. It scared me, but I was pretty happy with how I handled it, and how I dove face first into roleplay. But of course, the story didn't end there. The crocodile we met raised a magical bridge out of the lake, and we followed it to find an underground cave where the treasure was. Before we could congratulate ourselves though, we heard a fight happening outside. We charged out to find our frenemies murdering the innocent crocodile. Then, in a grand finale to end all grand finales, we fought them off and we saved the crocodile. Well, actually, we didn't fight them off, we killed them. (laughs) We've talked about it since, and we're still not quite sure why our characters went to that extreme. I think they got caught up in the moment. You know how it goes. Well, according to Seth, with the treasure in tow, Spyro, Green, and the Professor spent the rest of their holiday bumming around the island and, I guess, probably hiding the bodies. Uh, in any case, though, I had just played my first game of D&D without any life-defining levels of personal embarrassment, and as it was midnight before workday, it was time for all of us to go to bed. D&D was tough. I really wanted to enjoy it, but I tend to be so self-conscious that it's hard to play pretend. But, I did go for it. I made a character, I built a backstory, and I played a game. I committed to not trying to win and instead to just have fun. Sadly for me, I still felt kind of awkward. I never fully let go of the self-consciousness, and it affected how I played the game. So I was a little stressed out the whole time. Then afterward, I was beating myself up for not chilling out enough. I should have tried harder to relax and just enjoy myself. I failed because I was too uptight. And as soon as I thought that thought, I laughed out loud. I was now being uptight about being too uptight, which meant that there was no way I was having any fun. I had tried so hard to try not to win and to relax and have fun that I had turned relaxing into something it was possible to fail at which is not what relaxing should be. You don't have fun by trying really hard to have fun and then later beating yourself up for not having enough fun. You have fun by doing something you like and then being glad you did it. My stress was tearing apart all the fun memories, and there had been fun memories. I'd really enjoyed coming up with cool moves to do in the fights. I liked meeting the sprites. I liked being kind of goofy. I did the thing and I'm glad I did. So what the heck if I didn't loosen up enough to have the most fun I could have had. And I think it's really cool that now that I know I had fun, I realize that D&D is 100% what you make of it. And you can make a lot of different things of it because it's so open to the imagination. And I still care what others think of me, but what if I'm just an uptight person and have to learn how to have fun being who I am? but I think it's cool that D&D helped me to understand myself better and that it had a space even for a person like me. All right, so now that we've talked through all of my feelings, why does D&D inspire obsession? So many reasons. You get to explore, you get to try new things, you get to be a hero in a fantasy land, but I think there are three especially deep ones. One, It's a type of escapism, but not usually an unhealthy one. It lets you be someone else and go somewhere else, and play pretend like you're a kid again. We don't think kids are stupid for playing pretend, and here's a way that adults can do that again too. Second, playing a different character can help us come to terms with ourselves a little. You can be like Quiva and roleplay facets of your own personality to work through them, or you can be like me and just be challenged by the nature of the game itself. Either way, depending on how you play it, it can verge on really fun therapy, and it challenges you to learn to accept yourself. Finally, D&D is fun. I mean, maybe it's not fun for everyone, and you shouldn't try to force it, but if you give it a chance, I think you'll find something to like. The very way the game is designed is to be open to exploring and having adventures and being silly, and who doesn't like those things? So if you're into adventures and games and fun and you like fantasy and hanging out with your friends, you might like D&D. Even an uptight person with high school theater PTSD found something to like, so this should be an easy obsession for you too. I hope you enjoy. Happy questing and happy obsessing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Obsessed. I'm Clifford Stummy. Thank you so much to Jake and Quiva for being part of this episode, and most of all to Kate, who coached me through the entire process, and to Seth, who took up so much of his own time to be our wonderful DM. Also, thanks to my brother Jake and mom, who I also interviewed, but had to cut for time. If you want to hear the whole game we played, more of my interview with Quiva, or an interview with my mom about growing up in the anti-cult 80s and her experiences with D&D, check out my patreon linked below where you can soon get access to all of those shadow episodes it's only three bucks a month and i promise you will never ever regret this so just click on that link in the show notes if you thought this episode was super great then don't hesitate give it a rating i'm not sure why i said it that way But more importantly, maybe the rest of your party needs something fun to listen to. If that's the case, and if you share this episode with someone, tweet at me or email me to let me know, and I will give you a big thanks in the next episode. A big, crazy, exciting, awesome shout-out. As long as, like, a million people don't do it, then I'll just probably be like, all right, thanks to everybody who did it. But if it's just, like, ten... I mean, you get the idea. Just share it with people who want to hear cool podcasts. Speaking of the next episode... I do not know what that episode is going to be about. I've been procrastinating a lot and trying to figure things out. So send me an email with a suggestion and it may be what we do next. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you next time. Do you have any suggestions?
4: Yeah, so, uh, this is a choral suggestion. If you're placing your voice way down deep in your throat, that's harder. Okay. But you could probably get some sort of raspy effect by placing it, like, way at the back of your mouth, and that would make you less hoarse.
0: I'll try that. need to go to the castle. <laughs> my voice is in the back of my throat. <laughs> I don't think that's <laughs> you're what you're envisioning. You're like you were
4: choking to death. <laughs> or like, at... you could be raspy down here in, in your throat. throat, or you could be raspy up here in your mouth. Okay. Can you hear the difference? I could be raspy up here in my mouth. Oh my gosh, this is so hard!